Habakkuk, Old Testament on tonight, Minor Prophet, the book of Habakkuk on tonight. You really can't talk about vision without talking about Habakkuk. I want you to find the book of Habakkuk on tonight. If you're here tonight and you do not have a Bible, our ushers will put a Bible in your hand on tonight. I want to encourage everyone to get the Word of God on tonight. Again, the book of Habakkuk, and uh, we're going to start tonight in chapter 1, all right? And then after chapter 1, we'll take a couple of uh, verses of chapter 2. But tonight, Habakkuk chapter 1 and Habakkuk chapter 2. While you're turning there, don't forget this coming weekend. We've got a loaded weekend, by the way, coming up. We're really excited about all of the college student ministry. If you are a college student, you know someone in college, please let them know that we're going to bless them and serve them right after service on this coming Sunday. There's a wonderful dinner prepared. Again, those, even those who are in the ages of 17 to 23, this Sunday right after the 10 a.m. service over in the youth area here on the campus. Uh, we do ask that you RSV people proper count on that on that on tonight for the college ministry dinner on this coming Sunday and then also don't forget that there's a men's encounter retreat right around the corner you cannot prepare prepare and plan early enough for this great event singles I hear you all have a great bowling outing now if you're single and you're not at the bowling outing on this weekend something's wrong with you okay I'm just gonna call it out like it is I'm, I'm probably the only one in the church that can say it and still be loved because I'm the pastor all right I really want to encourage the singles to get out of the closet and get out of the the, uh, the house and get out the apartment and the condo and the TP and wherever you live at and Enjoy the fellowship of one another. All singles is a wonderful bowling event this coming Saturday, 6 p.m. at the Epicenter Uptown location. Again, you can always stop by the singles table. Singles, did I do a good job promoting your event? Did I do all right tonight? Praise the Lord. All right. Well, if I won't promote your event, y'all got to clap your hands. And I don't want to be, I'm not single. I'm married, but I don't want to be more excited than a single folk. All right. All right. Real quick. How many singles in the house tonight? You're going to make me pick on you tonight. All right. Good, good, good. Now, listen. If you don't have anything going on Saturday night, 6 p.m., go bowling in the name of the Lord, all right? God will bless you just out of the obedience of being at the bowling alley. And then go home and go to bed so you can be in church on time Sunday morning. Curfew is 10 p.m., amen? The book of Habakkuk chapter 2. In fact, let's look at chapter 1 on tonight. The book of Habakkuk chapter 1 on tonight. Chapter 1 tonight. Just a couple of verses of scripture because it's important. I don't think you can fully grasp chapter 2 without understanding chapter 1. Tonight, we're talking about vision tonight. In fact, we begin a very intensive series on vision. I want to talk to you tonight about vision. Here's what I believe. Every person on the earth should have some type of vision. You should have a vision, uh, a vision for your home, uh, a vision for uh, your family. Everyone should have a vision for their future. Now, again, doesn't matter your academic status, your career, corporate, family, or even ministry background. Vision tonight is the one common denominator to those who demonstrate success in both faith and fulfillment. Let me say that again. Vision tonight is one of those common denominators, no matter your background, no matter your educational uh, status, doesn't matter what level of school you completed, doesn't matter what side of the tracks you're from. One of the common denominators for those who understand success in both, watch this, watch this, in both faith and fulfillment is vision. I want to talk to you tonight about the importance of having a vision. In fact, let me take it a step further. For the child of God, I know I'm going to sound a little discriminating tonight, but for the Christian believer, 
for the child of God. You should have a big vision. I often tell people and our friends to never make small plans because we serve a great big God. But tonight, that big vision, would you say that with me tonight, big vision? See, there's a big vision, uh, uh, and that big vision has to do something with believing and envisioning great things to happen in your lifetime. Now, if you're going to tell me up front, Pastor Stevens, I have a record. I have a past. I'm not quite sure if I'm coming or going. So no matter what is preached tonight, it's not going to matter. Well, you know what? You might as well get your pocketbook and your Bible and go home now. Because the Bible says faith coming by hearing and hearing of the word of God. And you'll find out these next few Thursday nights that one of the, one of the most fundamental, fundamental uh, purposes and, and, and successes of having vision is to at least have a desire. You cannot lose your desire. You cannot lose the want to to have something great happen in your life. It's been tough sledding for many of us. We've had a tough past. Some of us have had a tough recent future, a recent history. But you cannot give up and lose hope that God yet wants to do something great in your tomorrow. You have to believe that. You have to believe that. And because of that, you have to have a desire to have some type of snapshot of what your tomorrow should look like. And I want to talk to you about that, all right? I could talk about the vision of UCC all day long. In fact, next couple of weeks on Sunday, I will talk about the enhanced, yes, the enhanced vision of UCC. Doesn't veer too far from where we've been, but there's a couple of key words that I really believe need to be now in our vision statement to bring a little bit more uh, concision, all right, and crystal clarity. You know, we'll talk about that at another time. I could talk about my home vision. I've got a home vision. And every year in January, I redo the vision for the Stevens household. It changes. My family changes. Things change. But the vision remains the same. And so somewhere in these next few weeks, I want to talk to you about how to write a vision statement for your home, for your future, your family, your finances. How to, you know, how to cast vision. It's one thing to have a vision, and it's another thing to cast a vision. All right? Everybody okay so far? And then we'll talk about how do you cast a vision so such a way that whoever reads it not only reads it, but they run with it and they fulfill it. Okay? You can have a vision. You can tell the vision. But if you don't do it in such a compelling way, Who's, who's obligated to run with the vision? You could go out there and blow a whole loan on payroll and have all types of employees, but if they don't understand the vision, it's not going to happen. When I went to Duke University in grad school for a couple of months, that is, while I was there, uh, one of the biggest things you'll see on Duke University's campus is James B. Duke vision for this school. He wanted everyone to know this is why this school exists. I was at Academy Sports the other day over in the Concord Mills area. Uh, had to use the men's room real quick. But before you go to the restroom, there's a big vision statement right there at Academy Sports. Academy Sports exists to do A, B, and C. And so it seems like if the corporate world, if the, the academic world, if these institutions and entities can understand the value and the importance of vision, how much more the church? How much more of the church, after all, you may not agree with me, but I hope you do, uh, I believe we're still the greatest institution in all of mankind. We may, not be, we may not be the first institution, but we are the greatest institution. The first institution is the institution of family. There was Adam and Eve before there was a church. But I believe it takes the church to raise up this standard and raise the foundation and vision is a high commodity of that. Uh, Joel chapter 2, 28. Joel, and we'll get to her back in a moment, but Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterwards, God says, that I will pour out my spirit 
on all flesh. Now, I love the word my spirit. I, I know I'm a, I'm a little desperate with this one tonight, but capital M, capital S. God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit, capital S. Gives a sense of person, personality. Gives a sense of, of order, importance, and personality. Give me a little bit more mic. I think I'm straining unnecessarily tonight. Just a little bit more mic. Um, and thank you, by the way, for that. Um, so, so, so God didn't say, I'm just going to give you a spirit. God didn't say, thank you, perfect. I, I'm just going to, you know, uh, uh, move upon you. You can feel real good. But I will pour out my spirit. Can I, can I, just for a few moments tonight, can I inject the word Holy Spirit? Can I inject the word, I will pour out my Holy Spirit? Not just a spirit, but the person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of us in the Pentecostal faith, we want to use the word Holy Ghost. So whether you say Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, don't really matter to me. They're interchangeable if you ask me. But I will pour out the Holy Ghost on all flesh. And here's what's going to happen. Your sons and your daughters, they shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see vision. Not necessarily gender-related here, but I believe young men and young women shall see visions. Let's go to Habakkuk chapter 1 real quick. Habakkuk chapter 1. Again, this is a three-part series, and in fact, we may make it a four-part series. I'm doing some deep, uh, more investigative studies in, into vision, Old Testament and New Testament alike. And, you know, right when I think I've, I'm closing up the series, another chapter opens, another uh, message comes out of it. So we're going to just kind of park the car right here just for a little bit. Don't worry, we'll leave the engine running. But we may stay here for a moment because my objective is that every man and woman have a vision in their life. Okay? Somebody say amen. I am convinced tonight that less than 30% of the people in this room right now have a vision statement in their home. I could be wrong. I could measure real quick by the showing of hands, but if I am wrong, I don't want you all to know I'm wrong uh, in front of everybody. But if I was a betting man, less than 3 out of 10 people in this room literally have a vision statement printed out somewhere in their home. That's been updated within the last 12 months. All right? Uh, if you're one of those who do not have a vision statement, well, you know, I'm just believing God for great things. You know, someone said, if you don't know where you're going in life, any role will do. Well, you know, I'm a child of God, and I got the Holy Ghost, and I believe the Lord, and we're just going to see what he— Okay, it sounds good, but that's not impressive. That's what I call escapism. You get so spiritually bound, you're no earthly good. What are you called to do while you're on the earth? How do you know you're called to do it? What happens when distraction comes your way? The Holy Spirit has been reminding me these past 48, 72 hours, there will be some distractions along the way. And so when they do get here, as the late F.B. Meyer said, when you do get into the bump of the road, I'm telling you ahead of time, so when you get to the bump, you'll already know that it's there. You won't be blown out of proportion. All right? So, 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 so vision, it's so vitally important. I think this will challenge men more than it challenges women. I'll tell you why. Number one, I believe that the husband, the husband, the house band or the band that bans the house. The house husband should have a vision for his home. I only had one man say amen. Yeah, uh, you okay? I believe if, if, if you're a married couple and there's a husband-wife team, 
not two wives and not two husbands. See, and, and see, even the natural order of God is against modern contemporary uh, theory because if you got two husbands in the home, somebody's going to be mad because someone can't be the head. So that's why God made a husband and a wife, a male and a, and a receiver and a giver. But if you have two givers in the but if you have two receivers, even, even science uh, confirms the word of God. Huh? Theory uh, and scripture confirm, obviously, the word of God. So if you are a husband, you are the head of your home. You're the prophet, the priest, the protector, and the provider. God will speak to you concerning the welfare of your family, of your future, of your faith, of your finances. When God dealt with Adam and Eve, he never consulted Eve. He said, Adam, where art thou? Where you been? What's going on? I gave you this and I gave you that and I told you to do this and so. So why is it that you over here hiding and naked? Sisters might say it's 21st century. That ain't fair. Well, wait a time. I don't get mad at Pastor Stevens. The husband is the head of the home, but you, sweetie, are the wife or the heart of the home. He may be the lead of the home, but you're the manager of the home. And, you know, let's face it. It's one thing to be the head of the home, but it's another thing to be the heart of the home. That's why every man needs a good wife. Because he really ain't got no house until it becomes a home. That's a whole other message. Let me get back on Habakkuk. All right, Habakkuk, 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 Habakkuk. Here's the other reason why it's challenging to men. Because women will by nature hear the word of God, go home and apply it, write it, do all the exercises. They'll journal and they'll get their uh, diaries out and they'll take the word of God out and they'll lay before the Lord and they'll be like Mary and they'll ponder these things in their hearts and they really will capitalize on the word of God. Men will hear the same message, go watch football, eat two chicken wings and forget everything that was said. I ain't writing nothing down. Who do you think I am? You're broke. That's who you are. You can't keep a job. That's who you are. Don't no woman want to be with you. That's who you are. All right? But if you get a vision, all right, if you get a picture of what your tomorrow can look like and must look like, somebody will follow. Amen? All right, let's get, let's get to work tonight. Let's get to work. Habakkuk chapter 1. The burden, verse 1, which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Verse 2. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Verse 4. Therefore, the law is powerless. Hmm. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. I want to give you a couple of thoughts tonight about the value of vision. Uh, the one question I want to ask tonight uh, continually is, what is vision worth to you? What is the value of vision in your life? I want to define vision tonight. I want to describe vision tonight. Then I'll give you three importance or three values of vision on tonight. Again, the value of vision. What is it worth to you? Tonight we look at the prophet Habakkuk. 
And we see the necessity of seeing the big picture for his people and for his time. Now, real quick, we won't have time to go through all of Habakkuk. It's only three chapters. It's really simple, believe it or not. Habakkuk is a very simple book in the Old Testament to fully gauge and understand. But let me give you the cliff notes real quick. Number one, the book of Habakkuk, chapter one, verse one, starts with a burden. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart years ago about the importance of burden. In fact, I used to say years ago that there really can be no vision unless there's a burden. There can be no real vision unless there's a burden. Understand Habakkuk, like many Old Testament prophets, God used these men and women uh, to, to carry a tr an, an insurmountable weight, a burden, uh, heaviness, if you will, representing uh, God's displeasure with the people of Israel. And so Habakkuk is one of these prophets now that's on the scene, and he says, I have a burden, and his burden is for the bettering of his people. His burden is for the profiting of his people. He doesn't want to see Israel slammed. He doesn't want to see Israel backslidden. He doesn't want to see Israel outside the will of God. So, so, so Habakkuk wants to know, God, I have some challenging questions. Before we go to those questions, let me re underscore this thought one more time. If you don't have a burden for something in your life, it probably will never produce a vision. Uh, let me try to say this as, as, as corporate as I can. Um, there are, you have to be dissatisfied with the status quo if you ever want to bring about major change in life. If you look at any inventor, you look at any world changer, you look at anyone who's highly influential, most likely one of the things they had in common other than vision was they were, they, they were tired of the status quo. Someone shared with me years ago, you can remain here and be status quo, or you can make a change and be great. I chose to make a change. And every one of you will be at an intersection in your life in some time or another where you have to decide, do I remain in the status quo, or do I, I launch out by faith to make a difference? So you want to talk about political leaders, civic leaders, governmental leaders, ministry leaders, sports leaders, you name it. One thing I promise you, I promise you, they all have in common was they were unsatisfied with the status quo. Habakkuk is unsatisfied with the status quo of Israel. So how does he open the chapter? The burden that he has. May I submit to every one of you all tonight that there is a reason for your burden? It may not make sense. It may not be calculated, or you may not be able to calculate or measure it. But there's a reason God has given you such a disdain such a discomfort, such disheartening with a certain situation. You may not understand it tonight. The elevator may not necessarily go to the top, but he's given you an unsatisfaction with the status quo of your situation for a reason. Could it be that it is the birthing of a vision? Could it be it is a birthing? Down the birth canal comes the baby called vision. On your job, you may see something no one else sees, and it is birth. It is bothering you. It is a burden to you. That very well could be your ticket to the next pay, pay increase. It could very well be your next ticket to the next promotion. All right, let's get started. And so there's a burden, there's a burden, there's a burden that Habakkuk has. Chapter one, verse one. Number two, Habakkuk asks some very tough questions. Most scholars and commentators would agree that what is known about Habakkuk more than just a vision was the fact that he asked some very tough questions. Here are three questions he asked. Number one, how long will I cry and you still allow evil to last? Some of you all have cried that same cry. How long will I cry, oh God, and you don't hear? You may not want to say amen. I understand. I probably won't say amen if I sit where you sit neither. But Habakkuk wants to know, God, how long am I going to keep going through all this and you act like you don't hear me? 
Y'all don't want to talk to Pastor Stevens tonight at all. Hmm? How long will you allow me to see the violence, to see the issues that are happening, and you do nothing about that? Verse 2, excuse me, verse 3, question number 2 is, why me? Why do you allow me to see what I see? You know what? I'm living at that intersection right now in my life. God, why me? How come I just couldn't have gotten passed over and someone else got chosen? Why is it that I see this issue and want to do something about it? Can I just be, can I just act like it's not there? Why is it that I can't sleep at night thinking about this problem, this burden, this issue? Habakkuk wants to know, God, why do you allow me to see the violence? Why do you, in fact, look at verse 3. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are ever before me. Not only that, there's strife. And there's contention. Habakkuk just kind of wants to be the proverbial ostrich. Can I stick my head in the sand and act like it ain't there? Question number one was, God, how long will I cry? You don't listen. Question number two, why is it me? What is it about me that, God, you pick it on me that I got to see all this stuff? Is there something you want me to do about it or what? Here's the third question. And if you didn't agree to the first two questions, I know you ain't going to agree to this third question. Question number three is this. Uh, uh-oh. Aren't you not God, the sovereign one? Look at verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, the Lord my God, the Holy One? We shall not die. He's being very sarcastic. Habakkuk's fed up. Now, I know that we're saved and sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking tongues all day long, and never have no flesh moments, but Habakkuk was having a flesh moment. His personality in his flesh was overriding his faith. And he said, you know what, God, uh, uh, last I checked, ain't you sovereign? Can't you fix all things? Don't you know everything? If that was the case, why am I going through this sickness? Why are we going through this debt? Why are we dealing with these problems at our home? Again, I, I knew you weren't going to say amen, but this is Habakkuk talking. In fact, let me just take it a step further just to show you how much in the flesh this prophet of God was. Look at verse 4. Therefore, Habakkuk says, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. Sound like an arrogant husband to me. Sound like a mad wife to me. You never do this. Oh, wait a minute now. Time out now. I, I may not do it all the time, but don't say never. Try to get out of the extremes, all right? All right. You never say that. You never. Okay, so, 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 therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous and therefore your judgment is perverted. This is Habakkuk. And y'all looking at me like, I didn't think the prophets of God would talk to God like that. Habakkuk says the word of God ain't worth nothing. That's what the Bible says. Look at the scripture. Your law is powerless. And justice, God, you act like you don't see nothing. The wicked, man, they, ha- they have the upper hand on the righteous. And therefore, man, this whole stuff is just perverted. I mean, that's how it would sound if he was in our vernacular and our term. He has this burden. Let me say it one more time for those who just came in. You can never fully have a vision until, you're under- until you are unsatisfied with the status quo. You'll never have a vision for a better home until you get unsatisfied with the average house you got right now. Can I tell you will never have a vision to go back to school, get a better degree, get certified, make a little bit of money, start a business, create an income engine until you get dissatisfied with being broke. Y'all won't talk to me tonight. There has to be an uncomfort, a dissatisfaction with your current, and this is where we find Habakkuk in chapter one. Are you still with me tonight? Here's God's reply. Look at verse 5. You know, God will, from time to time, let you have your hissy fit moments. 
you don't have to wave your hand tonight, but I know you have your hissy fit moments. Your belly aching, lip poked out, swole up, arm folded, rolled in your neck. God, I don't understand why you don't see why so-and-so is this and so-and-so. You know, David understood that. Why does the heathen uh, imagine vain things in the heathen rage? Why do evildoers do better than, than me as a tithe payer does? You still ain't talking to Pastor Stevens tonight. I'm living holy, I'm staying focused, I'm faithful, I'm paying my tithe and offering, gave something to the building fund and to the pastoral aid committee, and yet I seem like I can't, can't keep gasoline in my car. God, why? And, and I don't know if you noticed as of lately or not, notice when you act like that, he don't ever talk to you know how. But in this case, verse 5, he does. Notice what he says. He says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, even though I'm telling you right now. Now that, sweetie, you can take to the bank. God says, ah, if, you, if, if you open your eyes, and there's the importance of vision. God says, look. God says, watch. There's something that Habakkuk was going to see in a vision. Come on, say the importance of vision. I want you to write this down tonight, and I have to give credit to Pastor Bill Hybels in his book, Courageous Leadership. I read this book, uh, in fact, it's amazing because I looked at it today, and um, I bought that book in April of 2003. So 12 years ago, I read this book cover to cover, and here it is 12 years later. I really can't find any better, more appropriate definition than what I read 12 years ago. Something more impressive is this. I'm reading, I'm reading a, I, I picked up an old book off the bookshelf today. Um, it's dated October 27th, 2005. October 27th, 2005. Next month on the 27th will be 10 years that I wrote in the cover of a book called Breakout Churches. No, in fact, it's called Simple Church, The Simple Church. I read that book. I gave that book to my pastor, uh, Bishop Otis Lockett, the late Bishop Lockett. I said, Pastor Lockett, I don't uh, recommend a whole bunch of books, but this book has revolutionized and it has blessed me so. And it's one of those books that every once in a while you just need to read again and again because it helps simplify. And we get so, di we get so cluttered and got so much activities and stuff going on. He read that book and months later he said, Mike, I want to thank you for that book because that book has helped me out. But Alvin, in the cover of that book, I wrote something relating to the desire to pray about the Huntersville community. I hadn't picked that book up in 10 years. October 27th, in fact, I'll bring it Sunday. I'll, would you remind me, text me, remind me to bring the book Sunday. October 27, 2005, in the back cover, I wrote in my own notes something about the Huntersville community. Now that was 10 years ago next month. You can't tell me that God doesn't have a way of saying, look, watch. I want you to be utterly astounded. But I'm going to work a work in your day. Now, I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out the back and tell you about it. But even when it comes to pass, you still ain't going to believe it's going to be just that great. Wouldn't that be just like the Lord to go full circle in your life? Things that you were praying about years ago. Things that you envisioned years ago are now coming to pass. I hope I'm not boring you tonight. I don't, I'm not being too desperate here. I hope I'm not reaching too far. I'm a capitalist. I'm an opportunist. I'll take what I can get from the Word of God. He said, even though I told you, you will still be amazed. That's just like God. That's just 
like the Lord. Write this down. A vision is, and here's the best definition we have tonight real quick, a picture of the future that can be and must be. Doesn't really sound orthodox to me, but boy, it sure makes a lot of good sense to me. A vision is a picture of the future that can be and must be. There's a lot of potential with this picture, but there has to be possession as well. There's a lot of promise of what can be, but my faith says it must be. And when you lock horns, and you, I mean, I'm talking about junkyard dog lock jaws with what God has called you to do. It goes from can be to must be. What is the must be picture of your tomorrow? In fact, I'll take the last five minutes before I close this message. Let's have a little school tonight. I want you to write down tonight. Tell me in a few words or less, just write it down on your notes. What is the can be and the must be picture of your tomorrow? Write it down. Just write it down. Write it down. You don't have a pen or paper? Put it in your phone. Put it on your notes, your iPad, your Kindle. You don't have a Kindle, iPad, iPhone? No problem. Write it down. Write it on your hand if you have to. There's something that happens just by hearing the word of God and being obedient. What is the can be and the must be picture of your tomorrow? I want you to think about that. A vision is a picture of the future that can be and that must be. I hope tonight you don't feel as if I'm being a motivational prosperity preacher. I hope you don't feel that residue in the room tonight. Because here's what we learned from Habakkuk. The vision that God gave Habakkuk had nothing to do with money, finances, houses, or cars. Notice that. This big, and by the way, uh, hey, anyone who knows anything about the book of Habakkuk knows vision is, the, is basically the tagline for the entire book. But not one time do we see vision in light of finances, prosperity, increase, or money. When we see vision in Habakkuk, it all has to do with the changing of a generation. Becoming a change agent, declaring the word of the Lord, bringing healing to a nation. And so I want to make it really, really clear tonight that sometimes vision comes your way has nothing to do with a bigger house or a bigger car. We'll, we'll have that conversation down the road. I do believe in vision boards, and I believe God will give you some blessings to enjoy. But tonight, vision has nothing to do with, 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 with you know, more bling bling. Tonight, vision has all to do of what your community, what your family, what your marriage, what your children can look like, what it can look like, and what it must look like. Everybody okay so far? I got a couple of minutes left. So it is a picture of the future that can be and must be. Here are two compliments of vision tonight you need to know. Number one, vision should produce passion and it ought to produce energy. Vision should produce passion. All right, husbands, are you with me still? Uh, boyfriends, uh, single men. If, if, if you get a vision and the vision's from God, man, that, that young lady ought to get your vision of what she can look like and must look like. It ought to produce energy and, and, and passion. If you give her a vision and say, we're going to be hungry most of the days of our lives and we may not have no roof over our head and we may live in the backseat of an automobile from time to time, well, that vision ain't producing no energy. If anything, it's going to produce energy for her to run away from you. All right? Uh, hello? It's not going to produce any type of passion other than the passion to get Hades um, away from you. All right? So if you're going to have a vision, 
You want to open a business. You want to start a, a program, a nonprofit. Does that vision produce energy and does it produce passion? Number two, the vision must be clear, concise, and compelling. Oh, I know what it's like to live on both sides of that track. I know what it's like to have a vision that is not clear, that is not compelling, and that is not concise. And man, it is frustrating. It's frustrating being emotional, sensational, pulling from the hip, and just ad-libbing and filibusting your way through the, through the process. But the other side of that track says this, when a vision has concision, when it's crystal clear, and when it's compelling, man, you can take that to the bank anytime you want to. I'm almost finished. I just want to help you. I've been on both sides of this. Trust me. I felt the brunt and the frustration and the pain of having a vision that was convoluted, that was cloudy and confusing. I've been there. But I also know what can happen if you clean that vision statement up. If you tweak it, clarify it, model it, mold it, massage it, and get it smack where it needs to be. I got a cousin in Texas. I always talk about my cousin. She's a sweetheart, and, and I love it dearly. We grew up together. Her and her husband passed the church, and, and, and uh, she, every once in a while she'll say, Mike, I need your help. We're trying to grow our church. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I said, first, first thing I say, brother, of uh, the body is, send me your vision statement. And when she emailed me that vision statement, that vision statement about 15 paragraphs long. And it's in, it's in Hebrew and Greek. Now, she ain't Greek, and neither is she Hebrew. She's a Hebrew, but not a Hebrew, all right? So, and then on top of that, she sends her wonderful uh, marketing pictures for the community, but she's got a sombrero on. She's got a church hat that, my God, uh, uh, a whole football team could get on it if it ever start raining. And he got a, got a black suit on with a vest and white gloves and a cane and a top hat, and that is their vision. So if I'm sitting in the community and you want me to come to your church, all right, first of all, I ain't got time to read this 15-paragraph business statement. And you know what, technically, I really don't want to look like that uh, when I come to your church. Neither do I dress like that. I ain't got no clothes like that. If I had clothes like that, since it ain't Halloween, I'm not going to dress like that. Everything is in vision. Vision is everything. It gives you a snapshot of what can be and what must be. So if we cast a vision, all right, when we're all looking broke, busted, and disgusted, which one of your neighbors is going to want to come to our church and be broke, busted, and disgusted? If our vision is, uh, oh, I read a vision statement the other day. It was so funny. I said, God, no wonder we can't grow our churches around America. It was so, it was so unthoughtful. It sounded real deep. It sounded real spiritual. In fact, it was too spiritual. It was too deep. It was scary. In fact, it was a scary business statement. I, I'm a preacher, and I got scared reading the business statement. Man, what's going to happen when they shut the doors in that church? And they ain't got no windows either, and it's going to get dark, and it's not playing that music. So your vision has to be clear, concise, and compelling. I'll give you one last scripture, and I got to close, all right? Where there is no vision, Proverbs 29, 18, the people perish. New King James Version, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. New Living Translation, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. The Message Version, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Let's stand to our feet. I have so much more I want to share with you all tonight. I'm sorry if I've added a little bit too much of my commentary, didn't get to these three things. In fact, you know what? I'll give you these three things. I'll give you these three things that vision can do. You go home and pray about them. Um, go over them, and we'll pick it up next Thursday night, okay? 
I'm not traveling in this season. I, I've canceled more trips than you all can imagine. I'm just feeling led to be home. And, and I, you know, vacation will come and outings will come and little getaways will come. But I want, I want to help you out. There's not a lot of areas that I feel a confidence at 46 years of age that I can just master and talk to you. This is one of these areas. I know I can help you. I know I can help you. Here's what you're going to learn next Thursday night about vision. A divine vision, excuse me, a vision will always bring divine revelation of God's expectation. A vision gives detailed requirements of God's expectation. Third, a vision ensures determined results of God's expectations. Again, vision brings revelation. Vision shows you requirements, and vision brings results. We'll talk about that next Thursday night. A vision brings divine revelation of God's expectation. What do you mean? You remember over in Acts chapter 10, Peter gets a vision from heaven. And God says, here's what I want to see happen at Caesarea. Now, this was, this was not Caesarea Philippi, but this was Caesarea by the coast. And that may, that may not ring a bell for many of you all tonight, but when you go to Israel with me, you'll find out one of the first stops we take when we get off the plane is at this place called Caesarea. This is the place... Uh, well, Joppa was really the place outside of modern-day Tel Aviv. But it is at this place that a man gets saved. This man was not a Christian, obviously. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't even a heathen. But God shows Peter a vision. And in this vision, there's a four-cornered sheet with all these animals coming out. And God says, Peter, I know you grew up in a Jewish tradition where only certain things were clean and holy and everything else was dirty. He says, but this day forward, everything is going to be clean and everything is going to be acceptable. And that, in that vision, God speaks to Peter. Peter goes to the house of a certain centurion. And not only did the centurion get saved, but the whole house got saved. Why is that important? Because this is technically the first outpouring of salvation. All right? In a non-Jewish, non-Christian setting. This guy was a Roman citizen. He wasn't even a bad guy. But all of what we see happening in Acts 10 happens because of a divine revelation. We'll talk about detailed requirements. When God speaks to Habakkuk, he says, listen, here's what's going to happen. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. You're going to get this vision. You're going to wait on it. It's going to be delayed. You're going to wait some more. Right when you get tired of waiting, it's going to come to pass. Because I've already put my word out on it. And my word can't return to me void, so the vision won't come back and not, and, not be, uh, and not be fulfilled. But there's some requirements. And one of the heartbreaking stories, and speaking of heartbreaking, Habakkuk was heartbroken. Those tough questions he asked, he asked because his heart was broken. He just couldn't figure out why for the life of him, God was treating him that way. So here you have a heartbroken prophet who God speaks to and says, I need you to wait. Anybody ever had to wait on vision to come to pass? I can sing the song, you can't even sing. Anybody had to persevere while waiting for that which God had promised? And ain't it somehow when you wait, God still won't talk to you? We'll talk about that next Thursday night. And then finally, 
A vision ensures determined results. <sighs> You're going to love this one next Thursday night. You're going to love this one. Because Habakkuk closes how it begins. The Bible says that the just should live by faith. Where do we get that from? Habakkuk 2 and 4. The just should live by what? Talk to me. The just should live by what? I mean, it's all throughout the New Testament. Am I right about that? I mean, come on, talk to me. Faith is everything in the New Testament. Where do we first hear this? Habakkuk. He was the first one to get a revelation of the value of faith. Here's what you're going to find out next week. Faith and vision go hand in hand. You really can't have one without the other. So how does Habakkuk close? Chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. Habakkuk says, you know what? Here's the real deal. If, if, if the olives don't yield no oil, if the figs don't blossom, if the herds don't come home, if the cattle don't act right, he said, watch this. I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord, the God of my salvation. Because here I realize that God, and only God, not my employer, not my church, not my family, not my money, not my degree, but only God is my strength. He'll make my feet like deer's feet. And he'll cause me to walk on the high hills, the high hills. What the prophet says simply is this. The just shall live by faith. And when you have vision, you realize that it's all about faith. You cannot have faith without a vision. Vision cannot be fulfilled unless it happens in faith. Right now, I'm standing at that intersection between vision and fulfillment, promise and possession, faith and the facts. Many of you all, if you haven't been there, keep living. You'll be there real soon. Heads about eyes are closed. We'll come to the agreement next Thursday night that faith is the primary result of vision even in the midst of starvation and loss. If the cows, the goats, the olives, and the figs, by the way, those four national products of Israel, four national products of Israel, that is their everything. But if they don't come to pass, I will still have faith in my God. And that should be the hymn of every man and woman tonight in this room. If I never get an increase,